0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets Podcast. I don't have to convince any one of those eight defensive coaches how effed up I am. These players, they want to defend MetLife Stadium for you guys. Here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Today we're going to be joined by Connor Hughes of The Athletic. We're going to wrap up New York Jets training camp as they head into their second preseason game against the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, We talked for about 22, 23 minutes. Uh, Some really interesting uh, roster nuggets in terms of some guys who may or may not make it. Uh, We also get Connor's win prediction for the team. Good chat. Connor's always a great follow on the beat, uh, so make sure to give that a listen. As a reminder, subscribe rate review iTunes we'll keep giving stuff away you keep hitting us with those ratings get us up around 600 uh, podcasts of course also available on Google Play and Spotify and turn on the jets.com. Uh, this is going to run Thursday morning, uh, Wednesday morning, if you haven't caught it yet. Uh, ran a preview of three things to watch for Jet Falcons, and then similar to last week, on Friday I'll have a 12-pack reviewing 12 observations from the preseason game. Uh, of course, make sure to check out the site for further day-to-day podcasts on the Play Like a Jet feed, the Cool Year Jets feed, and then film breakdowns from Joe Blewett and other analysis from the rest of our writers. Of course, finally... Follow me on Twitter at Jay Caparoso. Always send those questions in, particularly on Saturday mornings. Always happy to respond. Appreciate all the engagement uh, around the first game. It's we're getting close. We're getting close, and I think with the first preseason game, it's you're so excited that it's back, and you have that first drive, and it's awesome. And then you like you remember how boring most of the preseason football ultimately is. But there was a couple nice moments in the second half. Obviously, the Jets have some. Um, Death issues to work through, particularly the cornerback position, but we'll get into that with with Connor. Offensively, some exciting things going, though. Uh, with this podcast, of course, we're going to stay with... i got to stop saying, of course, so much. I'm catching myself. I apologize for that. Uh, We'll have this every Thursday going forward. Going to try to have some more supplemental episodes that may be a little shorter. Thinking of trying to do something like 10 or 15 straight days of shorter podcasts on the 10 or 15 biggest issues or storylines around the team this year once we get through the third preseason game. So look out for that increased volume potentially on the TOJ feed. And then beyond that, we'll have our normal interviews every Thursday. And we are now joined by this week's guest, Connor Hughes of the Athletic New York Jets beat writer wrapping up camp for yet another year connor how you doing thank you for joining us i'm doing well joe how are you i'm doing well so we're heading into the second preseason game one uh in the books against the giants camp basically wrapping up at this point when you look back on 2019 training camp what are the one or two main things you're going to remember or main storylines that you think are going to actually really resonate and have an impact on this season
1: yeah, Joe, I think that probably, you know, it's actually, to be honest, it's kind of been a weird training camp because I don't think there are that many, like, sexy storylines out there. Like, there really isn't that really intriguing positional battle. The quarterback situation is kind of wrapped up. There's not really, you know, that high flying, attention grabbing rookie. So it's kind of unique in that regard. Uh, certainly, of, of all the training camps I've covered, even going back to the one where I was in East Rutherford with the Giants, then. It was, but but I really think that the storyline that, that I'm going to remember uh, about this summer is that, and, and, I, and I honestly, I, I don't say this lightly. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not a Jets fan. It's not like I'm carrying this team's water or anything like that. But I, I think that this is the training camp that I'm going to look back and, and say that you saw Sam Darnold uh, really elevate his game and, and put himself in a position where he's going to become a franchise quarterback. I think this was, you know, coming off that rookie year, there was optimism. Uh, there was you thought that it might happen, but watching this kid every single day in practice, watching this kid off the practice field, talking to him both one-on-one and in a podium situation, I, I think that it's, it's become so obvious that the Jets have gotten this right, and it's become so obvious that health permitting, Darnold is going to be that good that this was the year that you saw all that come together. And then, you know, I mean, look, there's a a lot of very good quarterbacks that have never won a Super Bowl, so you don't want to go that far and say, oh, Darnold's going to win one within the next blah, blah, blah years. But if he does go on and do that and bring a Lombardi trophy here to the Jets, I think this will be the year that I always remember as when you saw it all start to come together.
0: Well, I'm sure Jet fans are going to love to hear that. And I think, you know, without question, <laughs> I think without question, Darnold is, you know, such an X factor for this entire organization. Obviously, it's not a perfect roster. It's not a perfect organization at this point. But if your quarterback takes that leap in year two, you could very easily win 10 or 11 games in this league. If you have the best quarterback on the field, that's the best advantage you could possibly have. And we're going to find out, I think, really fast with this team. Exactly where they're at, exactly where he's at, and exactly where Adam Gase is at compared to where he was as the Dolphins head coach. I don't think there's any reason to you know, beat around the bush. Their first first six games are very, very tough, and then on paper the schedule softens up a little bit. Do you think that when you look at those first six games, Buffalo, Cleveland, Philly, Dallas, New England twice, they can tread enough water... Um, where they're not going to get themselves in a spot where you have multiple volatile personalities, and Adam Gase and Greg Williams potentially, you know, getting snappy with the media, pointing fingers at each other. Do you think they have enough to be good enough where this isn't like a twenty fourteen season where you start one and four and one and five, and it's just impossible to dig out of that hole?
1: I, I think so. I mean, look, as long as the Jets are, are within a game of 500, one over, or one under, I think that that's going to be a pretty good start to the year. Because, like you said, the schedule does get significantly easier after that. But, you know, the, the one thing that I, that I do have to say is that I think that what benefits the Jets greatly, uh, honestly, is that they're getting the Browns and they're getting the Patriots this early. You know, if, if you're a team and you're getting ready to play those two squads, you'd much rather play them earlier in the year than later in the year, I mean, the Patriots. It's, it's. I mean, this is now a yearly thing. that they always start the season slow? I mean, that's just a fact. It's, you know, it takes them a little bit to go. They're they're kind of like you know, it's the same story every single September and October of, oh man, is this the year the Patriots aren't the same. Oh man, the Patriots are done. Oh man, it's time to find Tom Brady's replacement. Yada yada yada, and then they roll off like ten straight victories to end the season. I mean, that's just how the Patriots are. The Jets are getting them in that window where they're still trying to figure out themselves. Belichick is still trying to figure out the roster and piece it together to position them to win some games. So I think that's big. And the same thing with Cleveland. You know, there's a lot of new pieces over there in Cleveland and a lot of things that kind of need to gel. Odell Beckham needs to find his his chemistry with Baker Mayfield. The defensive line has a lot of new pieces there with Vernon and Richardson and all that stuff. I, I think that the Jets getting those two teams early is going to really benefit them. And it wouldn't surprise me if they take one of those two. And then, you know, the other games, you just got to find one. I, I don't think that they'll beat the Eagles. I just don't think that they match up well against that team at all. Uh, I think that they can beat the Cowboys, especially if the Cowboys are without Ezekiel Elliott. And then, obviously, with Buffalo, it kind of all comes down to, to Josh Allen, you know, and, and if Josh Allen is going to be a franchise quarterback or if he's going to be a little bit slower in his development. But, no, it, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's imperative that the Jets, it's it's not about them starting the seasons four and zero or three and one or anything like that, but they just have to be hovering around five hundred when they get through this stretch, and it'll uh, it'll certainly bode well for them if they want to try to make the playoffs this year.
0: We haven't seen much of him, and we probably won't see much of him in totality in the preseason. But from what you've watched day to day, and in terms of his movement, what his weight looks like, how he's moving through the defense. What are your expectations for Le'Veon Bell this year? I do feel like it may be a little naive to expect him to immediately be the player he was in 2016 and 2017 for the Steelers. But even if he's 85 or 90% of that player, that's probably the best skill position player the Jets have had, maybe outside of Brandon Marshall's one season this entire decade. So what kind of, Production, are you expecting from him? And do you think there's going to be a bit of a ramp period where we get a lot more Ty Montgomery than maybe some people are anticipating? And then once we get into October and November, Bell is more of the 25, 30 touch guy we expect.
1: I, I could see some of that. I mean, I, I honestly do believe, though, that, that assuming both parties are healthy, you're, you're going to see a lot of both of those guys I mean, Montgomery and Bell. I mean, we've seen them work together on the field at the same time so much throughout training camp. I mean, Adam Gaze clearly loves him. We've we've seen even, like, funky little play designs where the Jets pitch the ball to Ty Montgomery
0: with Le'Veon
1: Bell as the lead blocker. I mean, that's how creative Gaze is getting with these two guys. He wants them on the field together at the same time. But I I think he kind of hit the nail on the head. I don't know if the Jets will limit Bell's usage a ton because it's early, but I do believe that there's going to be an acclimation period where he's not necessarily the same player. You know, maybe he takes... Uh, he, he chooses the wrong hole. Maybe it's, it's a move that he would have put on before that he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't see somebody coming that when he was with Pittsburgh, he was able to break that tackle or dodge that guy. I think you will see little incidences of that probably the first month or so of the season. And then you'll probably get Bell finding his groove again and getting back into the rhythm of things and, and really starting to rock and roll. But, you know, as far as what we see in camp, I mean, he's flashed. I think that's probably the best way to put it. You see these glimmers of what he used to be and the type of player that he is. I mean, he had this, I think it was on Monday, if I'm not mistaken, just a ferocious stiff arm on C.J. Mosley to knock him off like three yards, which allowed Bell to pick up like an extra five or six. So, I mean, he does little stuff like that. But, I mean, Joe, you know, it, it's almost impossible to evaluate a running back in training camp because of the fact that you don't know if the offensive and defensive lines are going full speed. Essentially, defenders stop before they get to the running back because they're just tapping him on the shoulder. But, and it, it, it's honestly one of those things where you have to see him in a game. You've seen glimmers that he's the same guy, but
0: you really won't know
1: for sure until he actually starts playing. But, but I'd be optimistic if I was a Chess fan. Like you said, I mean, 80% of, of the old Le'Veon Bell is probably still a top five back in the NFL.
0: Who are a couple guys who could be? I guess surprise is probably a strong word because it's a new coaching staff, it's a new front office, and I think the bottom half of the roster is pretty fluid. But you know, fans get you know certain names in their head as guys who are definitely going to be contributors and make the roster. Sometimes even when it's not really merited, Derek Jones probably being a good example of that. Who are a couple names that you think? could be caught on offense and defense that the casual fan is going to be like, whoa, I thought that guy was definitely making the final 53, but their actual spot on the roster is more tenuous than most people are realizing.
1: Yeah. Uh, It's not not as many guys as you'd think uh, just because of how poor Mike McCackness drafting was that this team lacks so much depth that outside of the starting positions, it's really, I mean, flip a a coin for, for some of these other guys that are on the roster. I mean, it's kind of amazing to some extent that they are on the roster uh, but I think that Eli McGuire is one I, I'm, I'm starting to believe pretty heavily uh, from, from talking to some people over there with, with the Jets that, that Trenton Cannon is going to make that team over Eli McGuire uh, for his special teams value. I think he's a guy that could go. Um, you know, I, I don't. I think Bilal Powell is probably safe, so I, w- I wouldn't go as far as him. Uh, Nathan Shepard, I could see him potentially being let go. Uh, Foley Batukhazi has had a really strong spring. Uh, or summer, I'm sorry, and, and actually was getting he had played a hell of a game against the Giants, and then he he received some first team reps on Monday, an abundance of first team reps. Uh, so I think he's a guy that that could also uh, Nathan Shepherd could be a guy that loses out on a roster spot. Uh, he's working with the second team now, but but I mean the Jets have Kafusi, who seems like the guy is definitely going to make it. Um, they have Quinn Williams, Leonard Williams, Steve McClendon, and then if you throw in Foley, I mean how many defensive linemen are you going to keep when you kind of need to keep pieces elsewhere? Uh, so I think that's a spot. That could potentially be, um, uh, that, that's definitely a spot that could, or a guy that I could see being let go. Uh, other than that, at receiver, you know, I'm, I'm I, it, honestly, man, it wouldn't surprise me if Deontay Burnett is, is let go. And, and the only reason that I say that is that, yeah, this guy has, has shown some ability as a receiver, but he really doesn't do anything on special teams. And that's very, very key when you're talking about the fifth, sixth, and seventh receiver on the depth chart. So it, I mean, Sharon Peek, seems like he's going to make it again because of how good he is as a gunner. Dorch looks like he's going to make it because of how good he is as a punt returner. And the fact that Dorch has now jumped Deontay Burnett from the third team to the second team, it kind of raises a little bit of an asterisk as far as, like, you know what, yeah, Deontay Burnett has shown some flashes as a receiver, but he doesn't do much on special teams, which kind of makes the coaches wonder, do you want to keep him as just a receiver, or would you rather keep someone that does more than one thing?
0: Yeah, Burnett's an interesting guy to target because I think so many fans like him just because of the history with Sam Darnold, and he had a couple nice moments last year, and you know what were ultimately some meaningless games, but you know you know Bellamy's going to make the team uh, because of what he does on specials, and because he looked pretty good at receiver in the opener as well, and Dorch I feel like is game. And seems to be like a a kind of a key veteran leader in that room overall. And that that seems to keep coming up. And with Dorch, you know, he's there for the specials and caught a touchdown in the opener. And then, you know, it comes down to how many receivers you're going to keep. A guy who's probably going to be inactive every single week. Um, When you go to the defensive side of the football, the, the most common question I'm sure you get, the most common question I get, is what is going to happen with this cornerback position? Um, I don't. I'm not of the belief that the Jets are going to pull off some massive trade for a Darius Slayer, a Jalen Ramsey. I kind of feel like Joe Douglas wants to go into his first draft with all of his high draft picks. That doesn't mean I don't think they're going to continue to scour the waiver wire, or maybe do more of a low level trade. They just had a Marcus Cooper today. You know, not not a world beater, but a, you know, someone who at least has some experience, which you can can't say for everybody who's getting reps right now. I mean, what do you think that depth chart looks like when we actually hit Week One against Buffalo?
1: Yeah, I, I'd be surprised if the Jets made a trade for, for the reason that you said. I mean, look, the, one of the big issues with the Jets is is their depth. And the reason that they have a depth problem is because they have been uh, borderline anemic at drafting since the 2015 season. I mean, that's where you build your depth. That's how you survive injuries like they just did to Tremaine Johnson. It's because you have young guys that you've drafted
0: who maybe they are not
1: superstars, but they can fill in and not have a massive uh, catastrophic drop-off. I mean, this was a Jets cornerback situation that, you know, was kind of pedestrian, borderline average at at the best case scenario. And now they've lost arguably the best corner that they had in Tremaine Johnson, who, I mean, look, he's he's no world beater, but he was still the best that they had. And then they lost his backup in Kyron Brown on top of that. So, I mean, it's an issue the Jets clearly need to address. But like you said, they're probably going to monitor the waiver wire because Douglas needs those draft picks to start building the depth for this Jet team. You don't want to trade away all the depth to kind of just solidify one position because, look, you bring in Darius Slay and, and he's going to help this team for two years, but, you know, you can potentially start... two It's going to take you two or three years to, to generate that depth that you really need. So I don't see that happening either. Uh, it, it's going to be tough, man. And, I, like, the thing is, is that... I kind of just referenced it. Even when the Jets were at full strength, the secondary still wasn't all that good. So they're going to be relying on this front four... And they're going to be relying on Greg Williams's brain to kind of generate a pass rush that can mask the the weakness of a back end, which when you have an elite-level pass rush, that can happen. In, in theory, that works. A great pass rush can can hide some of your issues in the secondary. Now, the issue is, is that do the Jets have a great pass rush? They don't have, obviously, an outside presence. Uh, so so you're kind of relying on Quinnen Williams, Leonard Williams, and, and Henry Anderson to, to be that dynamic force for you, which... Again, there there are questions for. Uh, there's some questions and concerns there as well. So it's obviously not an ideal situation, but it's uh, you know, people. It's funny people make fun of me for using this this saying all the time, but it's it's the bed that Mike Mcagnan made, and now Adam Gates and Joe Douglas have to sleep in it.
0: Are fans right to be? I I don't even feel like this is the right word because of where he was drafted, but concerned about Chikai Polite. I think he he the Jets basically. Sit out the edge rusher position this off season. They get polite in the third round, which was a pleasant surprise and I think a risk worth taking. The general consensus seems to be he's kind of been a third teamer throughout camp. He was okay in the opener, was like a little hit or miss. Seems to still be behind Jordan Jenkins, Frankie Louvu, and Brandon Copeland at that edge position. Should Jet fans seriously temper their year one expectations for a third round pick, which should kind of be the case anyway?
1: Yeah, they they should absolutely temper it. I mean, look, this, this guy's he he's working his way up. He's, he's you know, look, when the Jets have had outside linebackers before, Lorenzo Maltin, Jordan Jenkins, Todd Bowles is one of those guys that just threw him out there. Greg Williams is not that guy. Greg Williams wants the player to earn it, and and Jakai Polite is going to have to earn it. And mentally, he needs to catch up to his physical gifts, and and he's made progress. I mean, he he is. He is trending in the right direction. But some players, especially guys drafted in the third round, guys that are a little bit more uh, project players like Polite is, they take some time to develop. They're not just ready to play right away. There's a lot more to rushing the passer than just, you know, doing it in college and, and having speed. So, uh, yeah, I think I think that's fair to say. I think the Jets should absolutely – or Jet fans should absolutely kind of temper those expectations because to this point, I mean, we're through four weeks of training. Training camp's over. We're through four weeks of training camp a month. And the highest he's risen is he's still just working with the second team and hasn't received a single first-team rep. So, you know, maybe he gets in there at some point in in certain packages to rush the passer, but as far as expecting to see this guy on the field enough to to make a legitimate year-one impact, uh, I'd be surprised. Obviously, things have changed, but but that would surprise me.
0: When you look at these two units side-by-side, normally at this time of the year we're talking about how – The defense is dominating the offense, and the Jets are going to try to manage the game and win some low-scoring games. I feel like for the first time in a while, I feel a lot better about the Jets' offense and their defense going into the season. And I feel like certain games, or many games, they may have to win as a shootout. And I feel like with a Greg Williams defense, it's going to be boom or bust. They're going to allow big plays, they're going to allow points, but they're hopefully going to force turnovers and also create some of their own big plays. Has the offense... How clear has the offense been outpacing the defense so far in camp? And are people – I understand that the first thought that comes to your mind with the Jets' defense is Jamal Adams, C.J. Mosley, Quentin Williams, this should be a great unit. But are people kind of underestimating that outside of those names, this unit is still very, very much a work in progress?
1: Yeah. Well, the reason it's a work in progress is they kind of have hold of the two most important positions. That's outside pass rusher. Uh, which is, uh, I mean, seriously, go look, go look at the best 34 defenses and, and read off their pass rushers, and you will realize that every single one of them has an elite-level edge rusher. Uh, the Jets don't have that, and then also they have their issues at cornerback. So, look, Jamal Adams is a hell of a player, but at the same time, he's a safety, and there's only so much of an impact a safety makes. And C.J. Mosley is a, is a heck of a player, and he can make a big impact, but again, he's not the one covering receivers on the outside, and he's not the one coming off the outside getting to the quarterback. So the Jets have some major holes. Uh, that they need to that they need to plug, and they have some pieces in place, but this is still probably uh, maybe one one to two years away from from kind of completing this defense and, and really having an elite level unit. And then, you know, in practice, honestly, it's kind of been back and forth. The, the defense wins days, the offense wins days, but you know, it's it's almost a little tough to get a true read on who's up on who. And the reason for that is because of the way the Gase structures practice, where everything goes in sets of five. And the offense runs five plays, uh, starting at like the 25 yard line or so. When that fifth play is up, whether they go, they throw five straight interceptions or drive all the way down to the opponent's five yard line, they're taken off the field. So it's kind of tough at times to get a read of like, oh, the offense definitely beat the defense today because there's two or three drives every practice that if Gase let you know if the plays extended out and the drives extended out there's a chance they end in scores instead of just the second team coming in. So, you know, it's kind of been an even match, though, where, where the defense wins days, the offense wins days. But having covered the Jets since 2014 and, and seen all of those teams in practice, I can tell you that this offense is night and day from the groups that, that were around back then, even the 2015 bunch uh, that, that put together a uh, pretty decent season there with Fitzpatrick and Decker and Brandon Marshall and all those guys.
0: Alright, final question before we let you go. No, this is of course going to be subject to change and we still have three preseason games left and who knows a couple other transactions. As it stands now, someone walks up to you in Atlanta in the press box and says, what are you thinking for the Jets record this year? You know, what, what, What's roughly your guess on how many games they win? What, what are you saying has of today in mid-August?
1: Uh, I think eight, I think eight to nine is is a realistic expectation. I mean, when the season first or like when all this was originally putting coming together and all that, uh, I was more on the seven area. Like seven, maybe they get to nine. Uh, like nine would be a really good year. I think that eight nine is now the baseline. I think that's what you should expect from this team, barring injury. Uh, Two thousand nineteen. I don't think that's that's out of question. I mean, you look at the roster. If they take. Uh, the Dolphins, I think, are, are going to be a very bad team. So if they take two from the Dolphins, that's two wins there. You figure they beat the Bills once, that's four. Or that's three. Uh, Cowboys don't think a good team, that's four. Redskins and Giants they can beat, you're at six there, which means that they got to find three more wins. And I think that they can do that when you look across the schedule, especially if they steal one from New England. So uh, I think, yeah, I think eight or nine is, is completely realistic. And depending on how some other teams deal with injuries and how some other things shake out, that's when you get into, you know, will tiebreakers get the Jets into the playoffs. But I think this will kind of be that year where where you legitimately see the Jets turn the corner, maybe they sneak into the playoffs.
0: But, you know, I think it's
1: going to be one of those years that when it ends, uh, Jet fans are heading into 2020 feeling really, really good about their ball club and and their chances to to really uh, start to become a legitimate, I don't know about contender, but a a legitimate, really good year-after-year team in the NFL.
0: Connor Hughes from The Athletic, thank you as always for joining us. Go sign up for The Athletic. It's been uh, awesome to see you guys expand and how much you've grown. Follow Connor on Twitter at Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. And we will talk to you uh, once we get to some real football. We're not that far out.
1: I can't wait, man. I can't wait. Thanks for having me on.
0: All right, thanks, man.